couple of weeks ago, we had Cadet Sunday, and the cadets reminded us of their theme verse that they pretty much state every year on Cadet Sunday and probably every week when they meet together as a group. And that's John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And this verse was chosen by a congregational member as one of their favorites and maybe chosen by a current or even a former cadet. In a moment, we're going to read from John 14, 15 through 21. And the context of John 14 is surrounded by just momentous events in the life of Jesus and the life of his disciples. Around this time, in this pas- in, in around this passage, Jesus was given the news of the death of his friend Lazarus. And it's in John 11, verse 35, we read the shortest verse in the Bible where Jesus wept. Lazarus died. But he was brought brought back to life by Jesus. But of course, this was only temporary. Death is inevitable. Death is emotional. We have that idiom that death, like taxes, is certain. Following this incident with Lazarus, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on his last week before his own death. And Jesus knew that he was going about to face the cross. And in John 12, 27, Jesus himself said the words, Now my heart is troubled, so what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. You see, even in the darkest moments... God can still be glorified. So Jesus then comes to the night before the betrayal and his death on the cross. And Jesus and his disciples were standing in the upper room. And Jesus was full of emotions. And he was expressing final words to his disciples. And perhaps you can just picture Jesus talking to his disciples about the disciple Judas who was going to betray Jesus. Or about the disciple Peter who was going to deny Jesus. In fact, in in John 13, 21, John tells his readers that Jesus was troubled in spirit. And so then we come to John chapter 14. And Jesus and his disciples are still in the upper room. This is still the night before the betrayal and his death on the cross. And again, Jesus is troubled. The disciples are troubled. And through it all, Jesus continues to minister to his disciples and provide promises and hope. He also promises the power of the Holy Spirit. He promises that he's preparing a room in his father's house. He promises that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So let's read from John 14, 15 through 21. Before we do, let's pray. God Almighty, we give you thanks again for your word. Your word that brings us into a closer relationship with you. Your word that is the living word. That works in us to change us, to transform us. To be reminded again of all that you have done through your son, Jesus Christ, for us. So again this morning, as we open your word to the book of John, we pray that you speak to us. Open our minds and hearts. So, what, so we need to receive and discern and, and be obedient to what you call us to. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John 14, 15 through 21. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. 
The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage starts with a tall order. Verse 15, we read, If you love me, obey my commands. And this is also repeated in verse 21. It's like this passage is sandwiched between two similar verses. Well, today is St. Patrick's Day. In honor of this day, perhaps some of you are wearing green. I have my green water container here. But St. Patrick's Day is actually a religious holiday, at least in Ireland celebrating the saint of Ireland, St. Patrick. March 17 is the date of St. Patrick's death. And St. Patrick is known for bringing Christianity to Ireland around the 5th century AD. Patrick was born in Britain. And at the age of 16, he was taken captive by Irish pirates. And then he was brought to Ireland. He ended up staying there for six years as a slave until he escaped at the age of 22, and he slowly made his way back to his home in Britain. Now, he came from a Christian family, but he was not a believer when he was taken captive. And at a time when today, many 16 to 22 years old are are turning away from God and away from the church, St. Patrick turned to God. He turned to God. He relied on God during this time of captivity. He knew his desperate need for God. And so when he returned home, he studied Christian doctrine, and he had a strong sense that God was calling him back to Ireland. And he became obedient to God's call, and he returned to Ireland as a missionary. Now, to make a little bit of a digression, but staying with the St. Patrick's theme, Legend has it that St. Patrick used the three-leaf plant, or shamrock, or clover, as an illustration for the Trinity. One stem, three leaves. One God, three persons. So really, the shamrock even has has Christian roots. As a result, the shamrock became a national symbol in Ireland, celebrating this Christian holiday, St. Patrick's Day. Now, around the world, it became something to capitalize on. People use a shamrock as a symbol of luck of the Irish, or other organizations use it to make shamrock shakes. But St. Patrick loved the Lord, and he obeyed the Lord. He obeyed the Lord's commands. St. Patrick followed John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commands. John 14, 15 is not the only passage that mentions this command from God. Again, as we mentioned, it's repeated in verse 21 and 23. 
It's mentioned in several parts in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, it creates a bit of tension for me. Because to me, it seems to be saying, when we keep the commands, then that means we love Jesus. And if we love Jesus, as the verse continues, at least in 21, it says, then we will be loved by God. So if we keep the commands, we love Jesus, then we are loved by God. If we keep the commands, that means God loves us. And this goes against everything that the Bible teaches us about grace. Paul states in Ephesians 2 that it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Not because of your works, not because you're keeping the commands, but grace. Grace is a gift from God. So then we've got to ask, are Paul and John speaking at odds here? Is John saying, obey God's commands, and then you'll be loved by God? We sing the kids' song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's grace. It's not Jesus loves me because I keep his commands. So let's look at what this means a little further. Let's look at what it means to keep the commands. And I think first then we have to answer the question, well, what are God's commands? The Jewish people had a total of 613 biblical laws or commands that they were to keep. Scripture states in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, that Jesus himself summarized all the 613 Jewish commands into two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it goes on to say that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, Jesus is telling the Jews and telling us today to keep things simple. Love God and love his people. And everything that's said in the law, meaning the first five books of Moses and in the prophets, so everything in the New Old Testament... It's not abolished. It's not forgotten. It's there for us. But when we can say that we have kept these two commands, love God, love one another, all the other commands should fit into line. When we turn to Paul's letter to the Galatian church, Galatians 5 verse 14, we read, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. See, Paul is even making it simpler. Paul is saying that if you love God's people, that is also showing love to God. So he's saying keep this one command, and then you're keeping the greatest commandment. So I think we understand what commands we are to keep. So I think the next logical question becomes, well, what does it mean to keep God's commands? What does obedience look like? Do we have to do what St. Patrick did and, and go overseas and proclaim Jesus Christ? Is that loving people? Is that loving God? If you notice our bulletin board at the back, Mark 16, 15, it says, go into all the world. And when you look at the bulletin board, we've gone into many parts of the world as God's people. So maybe it means that, but... Not necessarily either. God calls us to keep his commands, to obey his commands. Now, we don't 
obey his commands to earn righteousness. We don't keep his commands to earn salvation. Because scripture is clear that the law does not save. In fact, it says that the law can only condemn. So when Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, I think every one of us can probably admit we can't keep his commands. And scripture states that we fall short. Scripture states, Romans 8 verse 3, that the law, in fact, is powerless to set us free. So then the question becomes, why even bother? Why even bother to try? We bother because Jesus commands us to. Now, if we cannot keep the law, does that mean you cannot love Christ? And then, does that mean that God does not love us? Logically, as you go through this chapter, that seems to make that kind of sense. But maybe in this case, we can't use that logic. And we have to compare this part of Scripture to other parts of Scripture. And we have to use truth. And we have to use facts from Scripture. God gave us the perfect example of obedience through Jesus Christ. Jesus not only suffered and died for our sins, but he also obeyed his Father. Philippians 2 verse 8 tells us that Jesus Christ was human. And he humbled himself as a human by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What we could possibly not do, and what the law cannot possibly do, Christ did for us. You see, because of Christ's obedience, when we are unable to fulfill the two commands, love God and love one another, and then all the other commands and, and all on the prophets hang on these two commands, when we can't keep these two commands, we're still forgiven. Because Christ died for the forgiveness of all our sins. And that is very good news. For we deserved eternal punishment because of our sin and because of our sins. But Christ has paid that penalty for us. So people, we have forgiveness of all our sins. We have been made white as snow. Jesus Christ, who had no sin, became sin for us so that we do not get the punishment. But then that still begs the question, where does our obedience come in? We have forgiveness. And we also need to keep the laws. It says that, keep my commands. And we can't. So does that mean forgiveness does us nothing? No, because there's also more good news. You see, Jesus has not only given us a clean slate with respect to our sins. On this clean slate, he has written Christ's obedience. You see, Jesus Christ has done it all. He has paid the penalty for all our sins, past, present, future, and for those who have faith in Christ, he has made it as if we have not sinned. He has made it as if we have kept all the commands. Because of his obedience to his Father on the cross, those who have faith in Christ also have obedience. So, does that mean it's a free-for-all? And we can do as we please? 
Paul in Romans 6 verse 1, he said, do we go on sinning so that grace and forgiveness can just overflow and abound in our lives? And the answer is no. Famous preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon stated, what value is the grace I profess to receive if it doesn't drastically change the way that I live? If it doesn't change the way that I live, it will never change my eternal destiny. You see now how love and obedience are coming together? The law will point us to our sins. God's grace will point us to the cross. And we will respond in a life of obedience to Christ. We'll stop doing certain things and start doing things showing our love for people and love for God. Out of God's grace, we will strive to obey His commands. We will desire change. We will want to see transformation in our lives and in His church. Knowing that we will fall short, but there is forgiveness, there is grace, and there is our obedience. When we love someone, we want to be close to them, right? We want to spend time with them, just be around them. When we love the Lord, we will want to draw close to Him. We'll want to spend time with Him. We draw close to Him through, through prayer and Scripture, and as we draw close to Him, we will more and more understand what His will for our lives is. And he will be reading, we will be reading His Word and he will speak words of comfort and grace and words of promise and words of how we continue to grow closer to him through obedience. The gospel message throughout history and in the present emphasizes that it is not our good works that save us. It is good works, but it is the good works of Jesus Christ that save us. It is the basic and simple fact that Jesus came to this earth as one of us to suffer for us, to die for us, to be raised from the dead for us. And that we don't have to die for our sins because we can't possibly save ourselves. Jesus became obedient to his Father. And we thank God for Jesus Christ. St. Patrick knew his need for Jesus. And may you know your need for Jesus. Jesus reaffirms these words to his disciples and to us in verses 18 and 19, where he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. Friends, we belong to Jesus. Whether we have it all together, or maybe even you think you do, or whether we're broken inside and out, we may be broken relationally, physically, emotionally, mentally, vocationally, spiritually, sexually. As broken as we are, Jesus sees us as his kids. And he continues to make us whole through his son, Jesus Christ. And we belong to him. Belonging to Jesus is a matter of ownership. We were bought with a price. And that price was paid for us at the cross. And this, this payment is not like a business transaction. Rather, it's like 
a legal adoption into the family of God. Later we'll be singing a song, Who Do You Say I Am? I am a child of God. And may we say those words confidently. We have been delivered from our sinfulness. We have been delivered from ourselves. We've been bought with a price. And we have freedom in Jesus Christ. And we belong to him as his brother, his sister. A son, a daughter of our Father in heaven. Belonging to our faithful Savior. You see, it's not what you know, it's who you know. The disciples had struggles, pain, brokenness, and often so do we. And the disciples had a bunch of questions, and often so do we. But Jesus says the only answer that you need to know is to trust in him, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And belonging to Jesus is our only comfort in life and in death. And when we love Jesus, we will respond in keeping his commands. We will respond in obedience because we're so grateful for his love, his grace, his forgiveness. And he'll be transforming us inside and out. Liz Curtis Higgs, she was a speaker at the Christian Reformed Church Conference, Inspire, in 2017. 2019 is coming up. I encourage you to check it out and attend if possible. But she uh, shared that she was a DJ at a Detroit radio station. And as a DJ, she kept up living a wild and reckless life. And in her own words, she describes her conduct this way. I spent a decade out there doing all the things that we pray our kids will never do. It was sex, it was drugs, it was rock and roll, it was pot, it was cocaine, it was booze, it was men, men, men. And she shared with us that she worked at the same radio station as shock jock Howard Stern. Now Howard Stern, if you know him, of all people told Higgs that she needed to get her life in order. Eventually, Liz Curtis Higgs hit bottom. And when she did, she reached out to some Christian friends who walked alongside her in becoming a follower of Jesus. She learned that God's love was so great that it could save her. That God gave his one and only son for her. And she became a follower of Jesus Christ. Liz Curtis Higgs' story shows us that God really does love the world, that God really does love sinners, and his grace transforms people. She loved God. She obeyed his commands. She became obedient to him. I think it's important to remember that we're never on our own. That, again, we are part of God's family. We are a child of God. And the Holy Spirit is our advocate. That the Holy Spirit's our support. The Holy Spirit's our helper. And he's the person who pleads on behalf of us. The Holy Spirit will work in us to use the law to convict us of our sins. The Holy Spirit will work in us to use God's word to affirm us of God's grace and our forgiveness of all our sins. The Holy Spirit will transform our hearts and minds to put our attention to Jesus Christ. Allow the Holy Spirit of Jesus to work in each of us and to transform our lives for God. 
So if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus, may God's grace and Holy Spirit convict you to learn more and to grow in a relationship with Jesus and to be obedient to his commands. And if you are a follower of Jesus, the same words. May God's grace and Holy Spirit convict you to learn more and grow in a relationship with Jesus and to be obedient to his commands. And may our obedience be a response of gratitude and thanksgiving for what God has done for us through his Son, Jesus Christ. And together we say, Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word and for your commands. We thank you that your spirit works in us to be receptive to your word and convicts us us of all our sins and affirms us and assures us that our sins are forgiven. Spirit of God, work in us to grow in our love for you and love for one another. Work in us to understand that when we do fall short, all our sins are forgiven, that we are and always will be your children, sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love for us. And may we strive to be obedient out of gratitude and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.